This is The Nexus, and I am Mark Swift. On the show, we have Rudy Reyes, the United States Marine recon warrior who starred in the HBO miniseries Generation Kill and is now a fixture on Instagram and on TV. Rudy will talk about how to stay motivated in a pandemic and why the work he is doing restoring the coral reef matters. I'll also review the television shows I've been watching during this difficult time. And now, The Nexus. Rudy Reyes is a United States Marine, an actor, an activist, a conservationist, a fitness guru. If there was ever a personification of the term Renaissance man, Rudy Reyes is it. Rudy claimed the title of Force Recon Marine and served in the 1st Reconnaissance Battalion, which led the invasion of Iraq in 2003. This mission would later be documented in the book Generation Kill and became the HBO miniseries of the same name. He is the author of the book Hero Living, Seven Strides to Awaken Your Infinite Power, and is the co-founder of Force Blue, Coral Reef Conservation. It is my pleasure to welcome Rudy Reyes to the Nexus. Hey, hey Art. Thank you so much for, for having me, my man. It is my pleasure uh, to be on a platform in which we can empower and inspire people. Perfect. Well, I think in this disturbing time we live in that we need motivators. People are just not used to this level of adversity we are facing as a society. And I think it's safe to say that things are probably going to get worse before they get better. As someone who has faced adversity yourself, Rudy, and has tested on the battlefield, what might you say to help people navigate these choppy waters? I sit. Uh, actually, I pace, I pace a lot and I think about things like this. And um, I'll express what has helped me. And although these are very challenging times and they are shifting, there's massive shifts happening. I have never been better because it's given me an opportunity to reflect, to uh, settle the vibration down and really feel, feel what I'm missing, and what I want to create a complete life. So take this opportunity of this workforce slowdown to sit or pace, meditate, exercise, but really feel what frightens you and, and uh, what concerns you so that you can put the, your finger on it and then create a positive plan and look at the antidote to that fear and be absolutely obsessed with pursuing it every freaking day. <laughs> I like it. I like it. And I think the work you do, <laughs> you, the work you do with Force Blue could also serve as a model for service and volunteerism during this pandemic. Can yes, you sir. What's the mission of this organization? Force Blue is a nonprofit, my veteran nonprofit, created to rebuild coral reefs and do ocean conservation, utilizing America and other militaries, uh, commando forces with extreme training and millions of dollars of amphibious warfare uh, schooling to repurpose and, and refurbish that skill and training 
can now fight the ultimate fight and win the ultimate war, which is the war to save the planet. That is what we do at Force Book. Mm. And tell me so we team Arch, our, our, we team my schoolhouse. I, I run my schoolhouse like a military schoolhouse. We team scientists and the finest uh, um, researchers and conservation uh, divers, uh, uh, marine biologists. We team two on the surface different entities, the scientists the researchers and the green and blue movement people, and then the United States and British and Egyptian and Israeli military, right? One uh, uh, group seems to be about protecting and, and, and education and uh, conservation, and the other group uh, on the surface is about invading and crushing and, 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 and utilizing weapons and, and destroying. But actually, at the essence we find it the mission to protect, preserve, and empower uh, is at the root of both of those communities. So now what makes us so different is that it's not just commandos and warriors fighting. It's the scientists fighting subsurface. And uh, we're all in this, bu- this, this boat forward through, uh, through, through nature and through health for the human race. We're both in the boat together it doesn't matter if you get on the left side the right side uh the front or the back and we are much more powerful now because we are utilizing liberals conservatives uh people of different nations everybody because again we're all in the same boat and uh, i couldn't be proud more proud i couldn't be more proud do you feel like there's some of what you said just sort of stirred me a bit is do you feel like this whole idea of we aren't commuting to work. We aren't on the roadways. We aren't, you know, in the air so much. Do you think this is actually um, possibly a good thing for the environment? What's going on? Absolutely. You know what? My Jade and I live here in, in Hancock Park and um, in Los Angeles. So uh, the struggle for me in Los Angeles has always been the air quality. I grew up in the Midwest, in Missouri, in Nebraska, and in Missouri, and uh, and also in, in Texas. And then, uh, and then when I would work and model for for Beyond Clothing, or when I did the pictures for uh, for HBO all over Africa, or Spartan Race, I did Mongolia. I was in these pristine natural environments, which fuel me. They give you chi, you know, energy in your breath, and. Uh, and Los Angeles are gorgeous because of temperate climate. The air is so bad. Well, we've noticed because of the quarantine, the air has gotten so much better. It's just beautiful out here. And this is a lesson to the human race if we wake up. The human race needs to wake up because nature will reset itself. And if we don't get to the uh, with the program of protecting protecting and respecting our planet, uh, we, of course, will die, and many life forms immediately underneath us will perish. But you can believe you uh, believe you mean Mother Nature will hit that reset button, and maybe another species will have a chance to, to uh, be uh, honored with stewardship, stewardship of this planet, because up to now, Art, Mm-hmm. Uh, we have not done a very good job, and this is something that we really need to start thinking about. 
Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's tremendous. And it's, it's great that you're, you're being an environmentalist, um, to begin with, but also I feel like that work is that you're doing with the coral reef is really a, um, a metaphor for. It is a metaphor. It is a metaphor for all of us to be more engaged with our community. Where does our food come from? Where does, uh, what, uh, what do we, uh, uh, what universal forces give us the breath in our lungs? Do we think about these and are we honoring them? Like when we look at the Native American traditions and how, how each of the four directions are respected and prayed to, how we respect and pray to Brother Wolf and Sister Moon, um, uh, the, the Comanche and the horse nations having a communal relationship with their horses in which their entire culture rested upon because of the hunt and warfare and the uh, the uh, uh, nomadic nature of their culture uh, uh, all rested there with their connection to the horse. I mean, these things, there's no reason the human race now should not only be educated about these things, but pursuing some kind of uh, gestalt uh, uh, lesson in which all the things of their lives have relationship to one another and are moving forward in a, in a positive and holistic and Im- improvement mindset direction. And that means connecting more, connecting the village, connecting to nature, connecting to work, connecting to uh, uh, self-respect, connecting to uh, art. These things need to be more connected. And Corona, I find, is an excellent opportunity for one to do that self-reflection. Yeah, no question about it. Um, let me shift gears for a second, though, and, sure, and talk about how um, it has been 15 years since the book Generation Four came out, and more than a decade since the miniseries you starred in played on HBO. Can you tell us, how you got involved with that project to begin with? Oh, yes. It's so well. You know, when, Gener- when the book was released, I was fighting in Volusia. So uh, uh, my, that Generation Kill, the book, was actually my second war, my second combat deployment. I, was, I fought in Afghanistan in 01 and 02. And then Generation Kill, meaning the invasion of Iraq. And then I went back to fight in Volusia and Ramadi in 04, 05. Um, yeah. How, how I got involved with Generation Kill, the picture, I look back, I just sent some pictures to, to Jade on the red carpet back then. Well, guess what? In Hollywood, being young and handsome helps out a lot. <laughs> so I'm sure if I was, uh, I'm sure if I was not looking so good and it wouldn't make their freaking picture look good. And of course, I was an incredible, uh, incredibly passionate coach, trainer, and leader. I, at, when they brought me on to do that production, it was only two years before that I was killing uh, the enemy for mm-hmm. America. So I was still very much in the mind, the soul. Uh, I, I mean, like uh, we had our buddy Jeff Terrazales. Jeff Terrazales was over here uh, two, two, three nights ago. He's one of our very best dear brothers, and he was a mechanic uh, in Generation Kill. The, really, the, the whole mission righted and rested on his shoulders. Uh, we were making a joke about another one of our buddies from Recon named Ross on. He goes, I mean, he was out like for two years on paper. So we are now we laugh, myself and Paul Wayman, some other Marines, 
we, you know, on paper we're out, but in a way we're never out. And so I was, uh, although I seemed like I was out on paper because I possessed some social skills, um, the, uh, the production reached out to me through Evan Wright to see if I could bring these in, these British producers onto Camp Pendleton to see the culture of recon. Mm. And due to my due to my um, connection and and the respect of the unit that I come from and the respect of the uh, community I come from, of course, uh, they they rolled open rolled out the red carpet for us. I brought them to. Margarita. We had recumberings jump in. We had um, um, dive. Uh, we had some dive work happening, and then some some brutal, brutal combat water survival. Then obstacle courses, and then live fire shooting. Production went crazy, and they saw all of these studs, all of these freaking real Captain Americas, <laughs> and and I guess I was still one too. And they recognize, wait a second, if we're going to do a movie or a miniseries about these recon Marines, our actors need to be fucking studs. And the fact is, actors are not. No. Uh, the, uh, actors just do not have that grit. Like you can't, you can tell their, you can tell their very skin is soft. And, uh, and they insisted on creating that thick skin, that hardness. And they knew I was the guy to teach and train to do it. And that's how it all started, brother. And they brought me out as a coach and a military advisor first, but they couldn't find anybody to play me. And they did audition people. But after they spent time with me, they said, this guy's such a sweet person, but he's also, he's as strong as a gorilla Mm -hmm. and can rip off somebody's head from their fucking neck. And, uh, and uh, yet he, possess- he possesses a tireless, uh, a tireless dedication to duty. And so after a bit, he said, well, we just can't find anybody. So let's give Rudy some lines and see if he can do it himself. And it was actually in the beginning very, very challenging because I'd never done a movie before. And the language, how people speak to you uh, to execute these certain commands uh, how about the fact that when you're working with other fine actors and they look very relaxed and they know exactly what they're doing and you don't, it's, uh, it was stressful. It was challenging, but I continue to practice and, and now I can do the acting stuff pretty good. Yeah. It's, it was a great beginning. And I mean, well, and you could see, or you could see towards the end, the last few episodes, I was really hitting my stride. You could feel the just a, so, uh, a relaxation, softness. Well, it's like anything else. You, if you stay current and stay practicing, you're going to improve. And I would recommend that to anybody out there. If you want to improve any aspect of your life, get into it. Do do some good old bamsis. Begin the planning. Arrange reconnaissance. Make reconnaissance. Complete the plan. Issue the order and supervise. Do that with your freaking uh, your mission and whatever it is that you're you're uh, uh, lacking in life. Do that and really immerse yourself. You'll be surprised how fast you gain some skills. No question about it. And I completely agree with you. You could tell there was um, an intensification of the acting and the plot as the miniseries went from, you know, episode one, two, three to by seven and eight. Yes. I think the biggest thing I had a problem with 
is it ended. I mean, <laughs> I know everyone wants so much more. It's, and you know, you know how many people have said to me, Rudy, why haven't they done Generation Kill 2? And I said, well, what would, what would that be? Fallujah, Ramadi, would that be, would that be Helmand province of Afghanistan? Because all of us want to go uh, and continue to fight in these places. They didn't, this is a wonderful way to look at the American mind. The American mind sees warfare as freaking sequels. Right. Yet they will not talk about warfare. Mm. Or and and many of these people uh, here in, in liberal Southern California and New York, they will not have their sons go fight warfare. They'll have their sons and respect their sons for pretending to go to war. Think about how disconnected society is when uh, you know people are more connected to a a, uh, uh, a um, what would you call it a what do you call it like the Rambo series the Star Wars what do you call those franchises? No, franchises. They would be more they'd be more interested in entertainment war franchises than the conditions. Of, uh, of actual warfare and why we were there and being educated in, in geopolitics, understanding history, and maybe think about making their carbon footprint smaller so that they're not adding to this kind of uh, uh, despotism and cruelty. Do you see what I mean? Of course. Of course. And you and I share a mutual friend, um, Eric Coker, who yes. is a, he was an advisor on that, correct? He was. He was the best advisor. Part of the reason why Generation Kill looked and felt so fantastic is that Eric was behind the monitors 12, 14 hours a day, six days a week, and never left. And I think the brilliance of him, he was so stimulated by being behind the monitors and seeing the massive amount of effort it went into capturing that little rectangle of footage. Mm. But, um, uh, and Jeff Terrazales was right in the, on, on the chair next to him uh, at the monitors. And Jeff is, is, uh, is a guest and a brother that comes here to the house all the time. Uh, Jade and him, they, uh, they smoke cigarettes together too. That's our little homie. And, uh, and Jeff is doing very well. And, and we're all trying to progr- progress, but, Yes, uh, we're such a family. We'll never leave each other. I just talked to Eric a couple of days ago. We text each other every day. We're a family. That's incredible. And stepping back a little bit from that, though, other than the um, the how you got involved in it, what do you think is the legacy of Generation Kill? I mean, did it? Oh change, my gosh! Did it shape the people? legacy of Generation yeah. Kill, brother? The gener- the legacy is that people are still talking about it, and it is the quintessential. Uh, example of what it means to fight the global war on terrorism, not just of our generation, but the future generation. They still use Generation Kill in the schoolhouse in uh, in certain special operations schools for fire and maneuver, and what uh, and what conditions will be like on the ground in counter uh insurgency warfare in the middle east so it's uh, uh it, it's uh i guess i would like to say it would hold a place similar to the to the place that platoon 
mm. or a full metal jacket hold for Vietnam. That's it. But but it's 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 more real, you know. I mean, it's it's, it's it is. Oh, yeah, those those specifically platoon and white platoon is such a gorgeous movie. Is because it absolutely is a play, right. and it is absolutely a movie. What's interesting about Generation Kill it is almost uh, seeks to disconstruct a narrative and, 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 and deconstruct uh, heroes, deconstruct. Uh, typical devices it will go the other way and, sh- and be quite banal in its violence, banal in its suffering uh, and how how nihilistic and self-critical is that but then again the truth is that is the real war hmm, of course um Shifting gears, what other projects are you working on? I know you've been acting a lot. What, what could we see? Yes. Well, our, we've got, of course, Force Blue Light, but my major project in the world is that I met Shade Struck, and we're going to get married, and I've not been, <laughs> I've not been uh, connected and happy in a social and emotional way in a long, long time. So things have changed um, quite rapidly in, inside of me. Uh, for that reason, uh, we, we are uh, we're looking at other places besides Southern California. Uh, uh, you know, with Force Blue, sh- shifting my mind into a place of overall health and wealth for our people and our planet, I am moving into a direction, or I'm moving into a stage of my life where I I want to be more of an overseer. And I don't need to be, and my self-esteem doesn't need to be wrapped around being a superstar anymore. Um, although, this is when most of the work is happening. My fitness business on Plank Studio is doing very good. I guess I'm what you call an influencer. <laughs> I didn't even know such a thing, right? Um, and, uh, and then I've got some TV and film work. I, I did a, a wonderful picture with, with Nate Boyer. Uh, imagine a little bit of Last of the Mohicans and a little bit of a, a horror story, a little detective story. And it's flashbacks from now, from 30 years ago. Uh, that will be coming out uh, later this year. I've got another horror uh, sci-fi picture I'm going to be doing uh, with an independent artist for quite a good budget out of Austin, Texas, with uh, Spielberg's people producing. And then I've got a TV show that we're working on right now. Um, I can't say what it is, but it's going to be adventure. Yeah. And uh, more than likely, it's going to be on History Channel. Uh, so I'm just doing, you know what? I'm having the time of my life. Thinking, uh, uh, yeah, I just want to be relevant, relevant for our people. We're still dealing and fighting veteran suicide. We're still dealing and fighting um, families falling apart with no father or mother unit. Or, or no father and mother uh, to keep a, a center for a family unit. We're still still falling apart with inner city violence of, uh, of young, especially young Latino and young black uh, men acting out by killing and hurting each other and other people because nobody really wants to talk about the fact that there's no family and there's no, there's no mentorship. And we're, still, we're still dealing with those things. And all, all I want to do is continue to be a voice and show action that we can defeat these things. I come from that. I come from a completely broken home. I was very poor. Um, my brothers and I struggled deeply, and I grew up in a boy's home. 
I witnessed violence and had violence put upon me since I was very small. Um, I, I speak about these things because I know it from the inside. And here we are in the most beautiful country to ever exist, and we're letting this kind of disrespect and 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 the lack of value for oneself. These children, these um, these thugs, are actually children with no love and self respect, and not being held to account. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to really focus on our culture and our community, so that we can we can be the good, beautiful um, Americans that speaking shining city on the on the hill of humanity, where where we help bring people up, not leave them stuck in the ground. And, you know, along those lines, um, I mean, I think, and you touched upon it a bit. I mean, your, your personal story is just one of the best I've ever heard. And I mean, you're 48 years old and yet you remain in incredible cutting edge shape. I mean, what, why is fitness so important to you? Is it a spiritual thing at this point? Oh, it's sure. Fitness is so, fitness, first of all, my man, you know, I've been to Sparta. I have been to Sparta. <laughs> and when I went there, look at the way I knew. All the damn Greeks are like, they thought, all the Greeks thought, like, I could see the way they looked at me. They're like, you are who we used to be. <laughs> the Greeks are not like this anymore. Uh, yeah. The Greeks are like, you are who we used to be. And I saw where this austere warrior culture uh, originated and where they thrive. Uh, Fitness, I learned from the museum director, the professor there in Sparta, the term fitness comes from this. The Greeks have the term, and it's translated into fitness, meaning how do the parts of the body fit together? Mm -hmm. The perfect diameters and proportion of chest, waist, legs, neck, and balance of an aesthetic approach create a mind, body, and spirit alignment that empowers an individual to do anything. Now, if we can't get behind that as a directive for uh, uh, self-growth, self-actualization, then we really have nothing. I think the Greeks had it laid down and written out on that parchment long ago, and we are just now waking up to the genius of how do the parts of our body fit together, how do the parts of our life fit together so that they are aesthetic, so they are beautiful and absolutely homeless on some sort of emotional and spiritual idealism of empowerment. And that's how I live my life, brother. And I think that's why I have an age. I mean, you know, my fiance is 22 years old and dang, she's fine as hell. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, when I, when we're walking the streets or, uh, you know, we're at the range or we're training, uh, at the park, the energy is still is the same because there's a certain timelessness when someone puts, uh, when, when someone fits their body and fits their life together. I know there's no quote unquote typical days for Rudy Reyes, but can you walk us through what a day in your life might look like since you were doing sure. Absolutely. So like these days I get up very early in the morning and uh and zoom to Plank Studio to do two 
freaking training sessions live around the world with students training with me live around the world and then their names and questions coming up on the screens. So imagine I am getting into my personal Zen, my warrior Bushido Zen to push myself in training while keeping eye on camera and seeing imagery of myself too to check my form and giving information to my students leaving myself available. So now my training is not really for Rudy. My training is a template and an example for everyone that wants more in their body, more in their mind, and more in their life. So that surge of energy I put out twice for two sessions in the morning already primes my brain, gets my body uh, in a snappy but relaxed state. And then, of course, the next thing I want to do is drink water and and think about getting some very good nutritious chow, some you know light food, not too much, and because my body wants it. So already I've created a brain and a body synergy that's setting me up for success. And then boom, right after that, I'm on calls, whether it's for fitness equipment, whether it's for a movie, or I'm doing a meeting, uh, preparing for an audition, and then Jim Ridloff calls of uh, Force Blue, and, and we're. We're uh, working on putting a budget together for our sea turtle mission, rescuing sea turtles and, and taking them to hospitals and, and getting the medicine and releasing them back into the wild. And that's all before noon. That's all before noon. Now, I have a soft squad. I call it soft squad, special operations force squad here in L.A. I got Paul Toma, my uh, Navy SEAL brother, Jeff Gum, Navy SEAL. I've got, uh, I've got Pierce. Uh, he's an army ranger, just got out of the rangers, just was running and gunning uh, maybe eight months ago. We get together and we're working on a nonprofit for the SEAL community. And we, most importantly, head to the park right by my house and train together and share ideas together and empower one another in our businesses and personally and socially so that we can continue to thrive. We all know what made us special in the first place is to team and unit before individual and uh, that God country core mm. mentality. And that's what we have amongst each other. And that's just, that's just the everyday bones, not to mention these miraculous little things that happen to me. Uh, heading to the Ranger Jay struck, Jay teaching and training, uh, whooping it on. Um, uh, you know, before Corona, I could be in Mongolia teaching and training and running the, the Spartan race, uh, three-day evolutions. Or soon, Jade and I are going to Verstalaika in Finland called uh, Finnish Brutality, an incredible cultural get-together and weapon system uh, 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 competition, combat-oriented. Uh, I guess, uh, you know, listen up, audience. If you really, if you really just totally commit to a vision, uh, an obsessive vision of excellence and no limits, you're going to be surprised what things start falling into place. And when they do, my advice is to absolutely pursue them. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, I think that is astounding. I, I'm so glad to, to hear about this. Um, it, you're really an inspiration and I want you, I want everyone who's listening to check out force blue and the many projects this Marine and brother is a part of, you can find, Thank you, Art. 
you can find him on Instagram at real Rudy Reyes. Uh, Rudy, I'm glad to know you and thank you for joining me in the Nexus. Thank you so much. I love the title of your show. Much love and respect, Arch. Uh, Eric Tucker says great things about you and I can't wait to link up and, and do some more uh, epic things with them. Absolutely. Um, and we will be right back. Rudy Reyes is a remarkable example of finding and developing things inside of yourself that give you satisfaction during times of trial. Since so much in America is closed right now, and I can't go to the gym or to the range or even to national and state parks like I would normally do at this time of year, I found myself watching a lot more TV. I usually wouldn't celebrate this so much, but the pandemic has allowed me to really delve into my streaming services in an aggressive way. I want to share with you the recent shows I've watched and reviewed them. The best show I've seen in the last couple of months is Ozark. This is the third season of the Netflix series, and it was the best yet. The first season was intriguing in a Breaking Bad light sort of way, with an ordinary guy thrust into a life of crime by laundering money for a Mexican drug cartel. But the show seemed to meander in the second season, as local politics was brought in and too many new characters. In the third season, however, wow! The tension got ramped up to the nth degree with a new manic depressive brother brought in, the leader of the Mexican cartel is revealed, and a clash between the Bird family and a new very pregnant FBI agent. I strongly recommend Ozark and look forward to its fourth season. The next best show I am watching is titled Mrs. America, and it could be found on Hulu. The show is an all-star cast headed by Oscar winner Kate Blanchett as Phyllis Schlafly, a conservative woman who spearheaded the fight against the Equal Rights Amendment and, spoiler alert, wound up sinking this amendment to the Constitution that had sailed through the House and Senate. Mrs. America focuses on that struggle by highlighting several of the women who were major players in the saga. You get Gloria Steinem and Bella Abzug and Shirley Chisholm and Betty Friedan, all trailblazers in their own right. The show sometimes feels a bit more like a documentary than it should because there isn't a tremendous amount of linear tension that could be found with the ERA. So what Mrs. America does is explore Phyllis Schlafly's character and her family setup. It's good television, but dubious that Phyllis was a borderline racist or had a dysfunctional marriage or made up case law during televised debates against other feminists. In any case, Mrs. America is still fun to watch, and it gets the 1970s pretty darn close to being right. As someone born in that wild decade, I'm always on the lookout for culture about the time. The show 112263 is not a new one. It came out in 2016, but it's new to me, and I would offer as a show you may not have heard about. It's also on Hulu. I just recently got that service. And stars James Franco as a school teacher who goes in a time machine back to the early 1960s in an attempt to stop the assassination of JFK. Pretty cool idea, right? And the show stands up fairly well. It's a blast to see how Franco interacts with people in that era, how he sees the racism, the education system, the politics. The show this was based on is by Stephen King, but there's much less of a horror vibe here than in his other works. The true standout is James Franco. 
I've always seen him as this goofy actor in silly comedies. Fun comedies, don't get me wrong, but in 112263, he plays an everyman who has an old world Hollywood charm. I could see Jimmy Stewart playing this role in his classic movies. I would have liked that show to focus a bit more on the Kennedy assassination and less on the entanglements Franco gets into, namely his love affair with a teacher in the 1960s, but this eight-part miniseries is still worth a look. The last series I have watched since the pandemic began is The Handmaid's Tale. I have a very mixed review of this one. The premise is remarkable. Religious zealots launch a coup against the United States and institute a repressive regime known as Gilead, which includes enslaving most of the women. Elizabeth Moss from Mad Men is a handmaid whose purpose in life is to procreate before the U.S. and because the U.S. had a revolution with a plunging birth rate. The first season of The Handmaid's Tale was as good as television gets. Every scene matters, and like in Ozark, there is an edge-of-your-seat tension. Seeing how this totalitarian society worked was fascinating, and there were enough parallels to the real world that this was a true American horror story. But by the second and third season, the inconsistencies started racking up. Characters did things that made no sense, and the action slowed way down. So, I'm reluctant to recommend Handmaid's Tale after season one. A lot of times TV shows only have one year in them, especially if they are following a book, which this show is. Four shows that have helped me get through COVID-19. Would I rather be out and about on my motorcycle, taking road trips, enjoying great restaurants, and drinking with friends? Of course. But thank God for the internet and modern entertainment options to distract us as we wait for the world to change. And that's our show. The Nexus is recorded in Washington and produced by Colin Martin. I'd like to thank my longtime brother and warrior, Eric Cucker, for this episode. If you like The Nexus, please feel free to share it far and wide. We will see you next time and be well.